Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg. With your host, psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, Living Well with Dr. Peg explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics. Brought to you by SSI Guardian, Living Well with Dr. Peg shares effective and practical psychological strategies based on biblical principles for living well. To learn more about the show or Dr. Peg's mental health consulting and publishing services, visit drpegradio.com. And now, here's your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. It's great to be with you today for another episode of Living Well with Dr. Peg, brought to you every week by our sponsor, SSI Guardian. We're coming to you from Denver, Colorado, on 94.7 KRKS and streaming around the world on 947krs.com. And you can also download the KRKS app to listen on your smartphone. And if you missed last week's episode or any episode of Living Well with Dr. Peg, be sure to go to Dr. Peg Radio, that's D-R-P-E-G Radio, Dot com for the program archives. Over the coming days, the country and the world are addressing the issue of suicide through World Suicide Prevention Day and National Suicide Prevention Week. And in the United States, suicide accounts for about 2% of all deaths. Rates are highest for men over 69, but suicide is increasing at alarming rates for young people aged 15 to 24. And in fact, suicide is the third leading cause of death for young people ages 15 to 24, surpassed only by homicide and accidents. For more information on suicide prevention, go to suicidology.org. Well, Stephen Beckman was 22 years old when he jumped from the Oso Parkway Bridge in Rancho Santa Margarita, California, in his second attempt to take his own life. Stephen miraculously survived for several days before he was pronounced dead and his organs harvested for donation. Stephen's father, Deputy Chief Michael Beckman of the Long Beach Police Department, will share the story of Stephen's life, mental illness, tragic suicide, and hope-inspiring legacy today with us on the program. Deputy Chief Michael Beckman, thank you for being with us from Long Beach, California, on the phone, and welcome to the program. Dr. Pig, I'm honored to talk with you, and I want to thank you for this opportunity. Oh, you're so welcome. I, I got the privilege and opportunity to hear you speak last month at the Campus Safety West Conference in Long Beach, California, put on by Campus Safety Magazine, and you provided a very touching, emotional, and really inspiring presentation. And so I I thought immediately I want to have Deputy Chief Michael Beckman on the show. And I was just touched by your transparency and your willingness to share, to just bring hope and education around this very uh, uh, important and tragic topic of of, uh, suicide. And so I just want to ask you to um, share the story of your son, Stephen, with our listeners today and um, tell us what happened to Stephen in July of 2012. Yeah, I I really appreciate this opportunity. And, and believe me, I never thought that at uh, the age of 50 and 27 years into a policing career that I would actually be talking about the attempted suicide uh, and then the suicide of my own son. Uh, Lord knows I handled plenty of uh, deaths. And uh, a lot of those deaths included suicide. And uh, 
as a police officer, while I could have been and was, I think, sympathetic to uh, certain people's uh, plights and, and the plight of the family, uh, it wasn't until this tragedy happened to me and my family that I think I, I realized the, the true meaning of, of empathy. And after Stephen died, I came to realize some uh, personal and professional lessons, some takeaways, if you will, at some point after his death. And I realized at that point that I was not uh, going to be able to rest until I was able to uh, use as many forms as I could to get Stephen's story out there. Uh, I believe that everybody does have a story, and it's important that we as humans experience or, or share our experiences with other people. Uh, I believe it connects us as human beings, and there's power, I believe, in healing and vulnerability. So uh, I do so openly with the hope that it, it helps those in crisis and, and their families who might be going through and coping with similar tragedies. But, Stephen, I have to tell you, uh, a lot of things led up to his attempt suicide in June of 2011. Uh, he uh, was a very popular and attractive and, and strong uh, young man. Uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed about Stephen was the fact that he always fought for the underdog. Uh, he, he loved animals. He, he loved children. He loved uh, defending the defenseless. He was a very caring and, and loving uh, young man. And uh, he, uh, he did not like uh, bullies. In fact, he intensely di disliked uh, bullies, and he uh, was just a, a caring and, and compassionate soul and, and taught me a lot of lessons. But during his uh, youth and specifically his, his teenage uh, years, uh, things that perhaps uh, could be looked at as being normal adolescent or, or pubescent behavior ultimately became things uh, that were quite concerning. And those things eventually led uh, Stephen to a position where uh, he believed that uh, the only uh, course for him to take was to uh, take his own life. But unfortunately, it, it, uh, it was a tragic choice and one that I wish that he hadn't made, and, and that's the reason why I want to make sure that we get this message out uh, to as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, I gave some statistics in my opening remarks, um, but when it happens to your child, it really is more than just numbers on a page, isn't it? It absolutely is. And in fact, I could tell you that had it not happened to my family, uh, I probably would not have an appreciation or a respect for the sheer numbers that we're talking about uh, and the fact that it is a it is an I think it is an epidemic. If you look at it by definition, it is an epidemic. For example, the CDC reports that in 2013, 17% of all 9th to 12th graders in the United States have seriously considered suicide within the previous 12 months. That's almost two out of every 10. And I happen to do the math with the uh, the number of ninth to twelfth graders at the high school that I attended uh, way back in the Stone Age, <laughs> and I can tell you uh, that over three thousand eight hundred ninth to twelfth graders go to the high school that I attended. So if we take the CDC's statistics, that tells us 
that of that student body population, about 650 ninth to 12th graders at my old high school alone uh, seriously considered suicide. And that's staggering. That should be staggering to all of us. And we talk about the the threats to our students and, and to our young population. And we talk about the uh, the violence and, and the things that are taking place in society today that, that threaten our children and threaten their development. But when you consider that two, almost two out of every ten young people uh, between the ages or roughly between ninth and twelfth grade have seriously considered suicide, it, it is pretty sobering. And then beyond that, uh, the CDC reports that over 13% actually made a plan to take their own life, that 8% attempted suicide, and that in 2013, almost 3% of 9th to 12th graders in the United States were either injured, poisoned, or were overdosed uh, as a result of their suicide attempt. And that's just staggering to Mm -hmm. me. Wow. And that's why the show is so important, and I so appreciate you being my guest to bring awareness to the problem of suicide. Um, We have to open our eyes to the distress that our young people are in to to know that they are seriously thinking about taking their own lives uh, to address um, maybe a breakup, to address feeling like they don't fit in, to address feeling bullied, or whatever their motivations might be. This is a real problem that they're dealing with day to day, and we cannot keep our heads in the sand, can we? No, we can't. I absolutely agree. In fact, you said something that that triggered uh, my memory in the research that I did with the CDC. Their research found that not only did those young people who were bullied have a propensity to consider suicide, but even those people who were actually doing the bullying itself also had uh, a raised Uh, propensity for suicide. So something's going on there. Suicide is such a stigmatized uh, topic. It has been. It continues to be. But this is something we truly have to talk about, not just for the benefit of our own vitality as humans and and for our future, uh, but also um, for for the welfare of our kids and of our students and, and what we're going to be as a people. And to think that there are things going on in society now. There's probably a lot of reasons for why young people would contemplate this. To think that we're at a state right now where there's so many things going on that uh, those kind of statistics would be fact uh, gives us a moment of pause. And I think we as a community, a concerned community, a connected community, a spiritual community, I think we can all do much better. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of my work as a consultant and psychologist is at the intersection of mental health and safety. And so uh, what what you're saying about the CDC stat on bully, being bullied and being the bully both have in common that increased uh, risk of suicide. And we know so many um, perpetrators of violent attacks today are taking as many lives as possible and then taking their own lives. And, and suicide is, is kind of their original thought, and they're committing suicide by killing other people with them, including family members or going to a school or other public place. And so it, it really is a serious problem in our society, 
not just for the protection of the individual, but when we start seeing um, that violence being uh, turned outward as well as inward, it just affects all of us. It's true. We uh, we unfortunately see time and again where uh, violence and the threat of violence in our schools, uh, the impacts of violent images, uh, the accessibility and the availability of content on the Internet, uh, the social media uh, craze that is impacting our children's uh, developing brains. Uh, when we talk about uh, uh, campus uh, crime, specifically on college campus, uh, sexual assault, yeah. stalking, a facility safety crisis, you know, crisis and disaster response, and, of course, active shooters, all those things, of course, are threats. Yes, and to... let me interrupt you, Deputy Chief. We're going to go to a break. This is Deputy Chief Michael Beckman. Stay with us. One needs to look no further than today's headlines to understand the threats facing American schools. They remain soft targets for violent threats, and yet our schools go largely underprepared. Our children deserve the highest level of education in the safest learning environment possible. The SSI Guardian QAL, or Quick Action Lockdown, is the fastest and safest way to lock down a classroom. This revolutionary device provides schools with maximum locking protection while meeting all safety, fire, and building codes. Designed by the leading lock experts in the world, the QAL is the only lock that meets Department of Homeland Security primer recommendations. SSI Guardian QAL now makes classroom lockdowns fast and safe with the red button. As a parent, you have every right to demand that your child is afforded the best classroom protection. Take action today by calling SSI Guardian at 877-878-5800 or go to guardianprotect.com. That's guardianprotect.com. To learn more about living well with Dr. Pegg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Deputy Chief Michael Beckman with the Long Beach Police Department. Uh, I love Long Beach, <laughs> Deputy Chief Michael Beckman. I've visited several times, and it's just a beautiful community. Thank you so much for being with us today. No, thank you. It's my hometown, and uh, I'm very proud of it. Thank you. Yes. Uh, well, we're talking about a very painful topic today. Suicide and suicide prevention really is, is my goal here today. Um, and so I just so appreciate your transparency sharing with us uh, the story of your son, Stephen, and his challenges that led to him ultimately committing suicide. And the pain that a person goes through that would lead them to such a desperate act, uh, and certainly the pain of the survivors um, is, is just um, palpable. And talk to us about Stephen's childhood and um, when you first started seeing signs that something maybe wasn't quite right. Stephen was, like many children, a child of divorce. Uh, his mother and I divorced when he was four years old, and up until his last days, would remark on occasion that the impact of his mother's uh, divorce uh, from me uh, weighed heavily on his mind. So even into his late teens and, and early 20s, uh, divorce impacted him. Uh, the separation and uh, the anxiety that went through four years old wasn't too young to realize that uh, 
for him to realize that something in the home wasn't right. But Stephen went through periods where we just thought it was normal development for a child of divorce and somebody that has you know two bedrooms and two homes and uh, mother and father that that don't live with each other. And so the things that we would see uh, in our in our youth uh, were things that we kind of chalked up to just growing up. Uh, punching holes in walls, slamming doors, lashing out verbally. These were things as he got into his teenage years that we just thought was normal. Uh, But then some things began to change, and his anger management uh, became something of concern. He got into some uh, fights at school. I remember him coming home one time with a boxer's fracture, and uh, he had struck a male student uh, after telling the male student to stop uh, harassing or, or speaking disparagingly about a, a female student. Apparently the student didn't stop, and Stephen made him stop. Not the right choice, uh, but nevertheless, uh, that's what he did, and he, he ended up striking him in the face, and that uh, actually ended up stopping the harassment of this girl. So not the right choice, but nevertheless, it was things like this that he was doing that, uh, that were of concern. Uh, he became quite anxious. Uh, we had him uh, ultimately on some uh, anxiety medication to to try to help him. Uh, at one point when he was in high school, he he was an athlete and he was strong and, and very capable, but uh, he wasn't first string. He was actually uh, second string or even third string. And uh, after the coach wouldn't put him uh, or his fellow second or third stringers in uh, for very much playing time, Stephen became discouraged and he said he wanted to quit football. And one of my biggest regrets, looking back on it now, is that I allowed him to go ahead and and not play football anymore without giving him a condition to get involved in something else. And therefore, that led him to have an idle mind and idle hands. And as a result, Stephen started hanging around with the wrong crowd, or perhaps more appropriately put, the wrong crowd started hanging around with him. And then Stephen started to make some rather reckless decisions uh, against my uh, my uh, direction. He ended up uh, getting a tattoo and hid that from me. Uh, he ended up uh, smoking uh, despite my uh, objections. Uh, he took the car uh, without my knowing it. And these things kind of uh, coalesced and led up to uh, a point in time uh, that ultimately one evening he came home a very remarkable evening for us. He came home, and he didn't look right. Uh, He looked like he was altered, and I said to my wife, you know, Stephen doesn't look right. Uh, He came inside the house, went upstairs, uh, and I went up to check on him, and he was barely breathing, and he was face down on his bed, and I scooped him up and took him to the hospital. And as it turned out, he had overdosed on a drug called Soma, which is a muscle relaxer, and I took him to the emergency room. And enough time had passed where it came uh, out of his system, and uh, the only treatment that he got was basically just some observation. But I remember the emergency room doctor sitting down with him and telling him that he had taken a little bit more of the soma that he would have stopped breathing and would have likely died. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is the, this is, uh, the, the bottom of the, uh, the well we only have up to go from here because I'm hoping that this uh, uh, convinces him that he's making some poor choices. And then as it turned out, uh, he recovered from that overdose 
was ultimately arrested uh, for possession of Soma, and uh, we were very concerned with that. In fact, at some point during this time, again, being a police officer, I saw uh, in my career people that had taken uh, the wrong path, and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take Stephen, and I'm going to put him in the police car with me, and he's going to roll around with a shift uh, or on a shift with me. We call it a ride-along. And my intention of doing that was to show him the disadvantaged and the people that uh, were homeless and the people who were suffering from uh, ails and, and trials and letting him know what the potential consequences of making poor decisions might be. And instead, what that ride-along did for Steve, and again, going back to the first segment, Stephen wanted to defend the defenseless. He did not like people being taken advantage of. He wanted to protect people. He wanted to love on people. And what that ride-along did was actually, in my opinion, it kind of exposed him to something that he had not seen before. And he took that internal and he had that weigh on him. Uh, he saw people uh, living uh, in the streets. He saw people sleeping on the sidewalks. He saw children sleeping in cars and, and children who were hardly clothed and, and people who were hungry at the mission. And instead of that having the intended effect to uh, to kind of alter his ways and, and make him uh, put him on the right path, instead it seemed to to weigh him down uh, with despair, and I think it gave him a worldview that my goodness, there's a, there's a whole lot of bad out there, and uh, and he felt hopeless uh, to to be able to help it. Uh, after being arrested for having uh, Soma in his possession uh, in November of 2005, at the age of 15, Stephen took phenobarbital, uh, which is a barbiturate. It's a, a depressant. And then in 2008, uh, I learned that Stephen had taken acid, which is a hallucinogenic, and he had ingested heroin. And the lesson that came out of that for me at this particular point in time was that no family is immune to the perils of substance abuse, addiction, or mental illness. It doesn't matter where you live, what you have parked in your driveway, your socioeconomic status, uh, your race, color, creed, your, your spirituality, or your religion, no family and no person is immune to the perils of substance abuse, addiction, and mental illness. Mm. Well, again, thank you so much for sharing. I, I know, I'm sure, such painful details and, and recollections, but such important information for our listeners, in particular parents who may think, that could never happen to my child. Um, a parent who may also be divorced and has their child um, mo living in two homes, and you kind of painted that picture that we as the adults, we, we lose sight of what it's like for our children moving between homes, packing up their belongings, or having two of, two of everything or different rules in each place, and um, how that might take a toll or might be a, an initial stressor on a young person who really doesn't have um, the ability to cope and so uh, thank you so much for sharing just kind of how things progressed and where none of us is invulnerable um, that's, to yeah, some that's, of these that's ails. True. Mm -hmm. and, and I will tell you that you, you mentioned about, uh, uh, about uh, thinking that it can't happen to you. 
I thought the very same thing, Dr. Pegg. Mm. Uh, I have been dealing with uh, with these kind of situations for a career, and I never thought that it could happen to me. And then you add on the fact that uh, in 2010, he and his girlfriend uh, became pregnant. And a combination of the things that I've previously described, along with his feeling of an inadequacy and inability to help his girlfriend and, and to raise the child, led him to ultimately attempt uh, to take his own life. Mm. Wow. Um, just so so painful um, to, to consider and how it might catch you off guard. While, while we can look back, um, hindsight is twenty twenty, and see many of the signs, when you're going through it as a parent who may not actually have been informed or ever taken a class about suicide prevention, it, we can see how easy it is to miss. But let me read some of the signs, uh, Deputy Chief um, Beckman, of um, being, when, when we should be concerned about a young person who might be suicidal and and we can see that so many of them were evident uh, with your son, Stephen. Um, uh, exhibiting drastic changes in behavior is really kind of one of the benchmark signs. If you remember nothing else about the other details, when you see a marked change in your child's behavior, you talked about um, punching holes and slamming doors and not knowing that that, that wasn't a part of normal adolescent development, uh, making some reckless decisions, giving up um football and previously enjoyed activities and certainly the substance abuse and um, the eventual other suicide attempts. Um, All of those are signs uh, for my listeners um, to be aware of. And so I want to, again, thank you, Chief Michael Beckman, for sharing this painful story about your son Stephen's struggle with apparent mental illness, depression, uh, suicide. Uh, Living Well with Dr. Pegg is brought to you by SSI Guardian and um, We'll continue with the story of Stephen and um, how everything continued to kind of spiral down when we return from the break. This is Living Well with With SRN News, I'm Ron DeRockstro. Dozens of wastewater disposal wells in Oklahoma being shut down following this morning's 5.6 magnitude earthquake. It says it's taking the action because of research linking earthquakes to the injection of wastewater from oil and gas production. Officials at a nuclear power plant in the southeast corner of Nebraska say tremors from today's Oklahoma shaker were felt at the plant. Officials say there was no damage and the plant continued operating without problems. Hermine moving away from the northern Carolina coast, but its winds are still causing problems on the Outer Banks. North Carolina Department of Transportation has closed all bridges in Dare County. A small tornado touched down over two trailers at a campground in Hatteras Village overnight. Four people suffered minor injuries. And hundreds of Caterpillar employees in Illinois receiving pink slips this week. This is SRN News. Hi, this is Orin, owner of Absolutely Cabinet. Decorah cabinets are made for the person who wants that extra special cabinet in their kitchen. Decorah is made to last. Decora features many styles, finishes, with species, and storage options. With Decora cabinets, you achieve a great-looking kitchen with a fine furniture finish and high-quality hardware, which will last and stay looking beautiful for years to come. Thanks to those of you I've worked with over the last 27 years, 
and for your repeat and referral business. Go visit Oren's showroom at 5940 West 38th Avenue near the corner of Harlan and 38th Avenue. Or give him a call at 303-425-5592. That's 303-425-5592. Or visit AbsolutelyCabinets.com. New store hours are 8 to 5 Monday through Thursday and 8 to noon on Fridays. Hi, I'm Alan Davis with Signs of Change, the Godly Sign Show, every Saturday at 4.30 on KRKS 94.7 FM. The Signs of Change brings great local business leaders to, to you like Krista Judd, who will help you gain financial independence, David Towson, who will teach you how to travel the world, and Dave Pavick of Catholic Charities, who will teach you the joy of giving. And make sure you join us for Signs of Change, the Godly Sign Show on KRKS. The Godly Sign with Alan Davis, Saturday afternoons at 4.30 on 94.7 KRKS. Did you know that you can get not only Auric vacuums at the Auric Clean Home Center locations, but also Melee and SIBO vacuums? Both Auric Clean Home Centers are authorized sales and service for both Melee and SIBO vacuums. Ready for a vacuum you'll love? One that makes short work of a spotless house? Then get your next Melee, SIBO, or Auric from the Auric Clean Home Centers at their Aurora and Littleton locations. Simply Google Anderson's Vacuum Littleton or Anderson's Vacuum Aurora. To learn more about living well with Dr. Peg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell Clark. Welcome back, everyone. My guest today is Deputy Chief Michael Beckman with the beautiful City of Long Beach Police Department. And, um, Deputy Chief, thank you so much for sharing. I just appreciate uh your transparency and honesty and your just desire to help our listeners who, who may be recognizing some of these signs that, that you've been describing as you share with us about Stephen's uh, childhood and adolescence. If it can help one person, just one human being, it will be well worth it. Thank mm-hmm. you. God bless you. Thank you. Well, please continue on um, with, uh, with what was happening with Stephen. So Stephen has in 2010 a substance abuse issue, a mental illness, uh, some addiction issues. He gets his girlfriend pregnant. And if you can consider this, he's 20 years old. He has no job, no income. He has no skill. He has no education. He had to leave high school as a result of his uh, drug issues. He has no car or house of his own. Uh, Again, he has a substance abuse, uh, a mental illness, and addiction issues, and now he has a baby on the way. And all of these things led him to make uh, a terrible choice in that he went to a bridge in Rancho Santa Margarita. He jumped off the side of the bridge, fell what the deputies told me to be anywhere from 60 to 80 feet, landed in a ravine where he was airlifted and taken to a local hospital. When I got word and went to the hospital, I was met by uh, a physician and some medical staff. And the doctor uh, who was just happened to be at the hospital, he, w- he wasn't supposed to be at the hospital, but he had a, uh, something he needed to take care of and just happened to be at the hospital somebody that could uh, treat the kind of trauma that Stephen sustained. And his expert opinion was, and he told me, that 
if I had any family or friends in the area that wanted to come say their last goodbye, I needed to start making some phone calls because Stephen was going to die within three hours. He had sustained a traumatic brain injury as a result of this fall. He broke a femur. His ankles were broken. His pelvis was broken. He had collapsed lungs. He had internal injuries. And we were absolutely floored with the excruciating sense of loss and despair and wondering what brought him to that point and, frankly, what the future held. And I can tell you, and, I, and I'd like to interject this, three hours came and went, and Stephen uh, did not die. And at some point after his attempt, a pastor uh, friend of the family joined us at the hospital, and me and the pastor and Stephen's mother and my current wife went into Stephen's bedside, and we held hands and laid hands and prayed at Stephen's bedside, and I would not have believed it had I not been there myself. But Stephen's bad numbers, which were trending downward, stopped trending downward. His good numbers did not get any worse, and Stephen did not die three hours later. In fact, Stephen started to slowly and sh but surely recover. And I leave people that I tell this to, and, and certainly your listeners, uh, to their own devices, but I did not realize the power of prayer uh, as acutely as I did uh, that evening and in the subsequent days. Mm, amen. It that... was incredible. It was incredible to see. And there were uh, prayer circles that were set up around the country as a result of uh, a website that was available to my family and I where we, uh, or I was actually uh, able to write about the experience so that people not in the area could know what Stephen's uh, uh, condition was. And and people started reading that blog type, uh, those blog type entries and made prayer circles. And we had prayer circles throughout the country and in Canada. And uh, I, I tell you, there, there, is, there is healing power in prayer. And I was a firsthand witness to it all. Amen. In fact, interestingly, uh, and one of the things that I mentioned when I talk to people, we talk about crying. We went at Stephen's bedside, from Stephen's bedside to the to another floor at the hospital. Stephen's uh, girlfriend went into labor with my granddaughter, his daughter, their daughter, uh, while Stephen was in ICU. Hmm. And uh, so, on one floor of the hospital, we had Stephen in ICU recovering, and on the next floor of the hospital. We had his girlfriend uh, giving birth to their child. And I will tell you, uh, the contrast is remarkable. Mm. Tears of despair and, and wondering what the future held and an elevator ride just a few seconds away, an elevator ride where the tears suddenly turned to joy and happiness at the birth of a, a beautiful little girl. Wow, the, the highs and lows of life are brought into uh, stark uh, contrast there. 
They definitely were. It, it was. They were interesting elevator rides for sure. But mm-hmm. ultimately, uh, Stevens' uh, condition became uh, better, and this expert had told us that he was going to pass away, and he did not. And he got uh, slowly better uh, over a period of uh, time, and then 84 days after his attempt on September 4th. 2011, we actually were able to bring Stephen home. Mm. And that was an incredible time. We had changed the house. Uh, It was very emotional for him. Uh, We had changed the house around so that he might be able to learn how to to walk and and to maneuver the house again, because you you have to remember, he he was completely broken. And even though he had a traumatic brain injury, Cognitively, he was still uh, doing okay, but he had to learn how to walk again. He had to uh, build his strength up again. And I'll never forget uh, carrying him up the stairs so that he could either be bathed or or, uh, take care of his his personal necessities, and him patting me on the head and and rubbing my head and, and whispering in my ear that he loved me and that he was so very sorry that he was putting us all through that. And I was just pleased that my son was alive, mm-hmm. and uh, and and I didn't cry, and I have not cried. Uh, I will I will be perfectly honest with you. I have not cried, but probably once during this entire event, and that was on Father's Day of 2011, uh, which was which was pretty uh, a pretty remarkable day and a pretty difficult day. But other than that, uh, it is something that I continue to uh, cope with mm-hmm. it's not the flu or a sickness that you get over uh, it is something uh, it's an experience that becomes embedded in your very uh, fabric of life and it's something that you cope with uh, mm-hmm. uh, all the time and and really shows you the power of mental illness that your son would say I'm so sorry you know to put you through this um, and yet he still was making choices to harm himself. Um, That's true. What kind of treatment did you seek, seek out for Stephen, and, and how effective was it? Uh, mental health counseling. Uh, he was on uh, medication. Uh, he had seen uh, some doctors and some counselors. Uh, he, at one point, was seeking uh, the, the assistance of clergy, and we saw some improvements in some respects, but then in, in some respects, it's like the the poor decisions and the poor behavior or the unwanted behavior uh, returned, and he started making some uh, poor decisions and, and started getting into uh, the very things that was or that were hurting him, uh, the very poor decisions that he was making prior to his suicide attempt which ultimately led to uh, him actually being successful in taking his own life. Hmm. And what is it like to take your child to the hospital or take your child to a psychiatrist because of mental illness? Uh, again, it was it's stigmatized, and it's unfortunate, but I think the way that we get through that is by talking about it. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm so... Uh, so appreciative of you in, in giving me this form. Uh, as a 
I had to go back to my career as a police officer over 27 years. I always looked at uh, these uh, incidents and these families that were going through these kind of trials, and it was almost like I felt, you know, thank goodness it isn't my family. And that's a sad thing to say, and I, I'm ashamed by it. But I was thinking, thank goodness uh, that's not me because I don't know if I'd be strong enough or if I could handle people forming opinions about the, the family or about uh, my son. And so actually being in a position to uh, be in a, in a position to take him to a hospital, to take him to a counselor, to take him to treatment was very eye-opening and I think ultimately impacted uh, my uh, compassion and my sensitivity to people with mental illness and to people who are in crisis. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk more about that um, after our break. And I, again, want to thank you for sharing these details. And, and we're not um, sharing them to glamorize this tragedy, but to hopefully educate parents and loved ones about the signs of mental illness, depression, suicide, and and importantly, what to do about it. And But we don't want any young people listening to think this is a way out or a solution to their pain. Um, If you're feeling suicidal yourself or you're concerned about someone, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK, which is 8225. And in Colorado, it's 844-493-TALK. So we thank you, um, Deputy Chief Michael Beckman, for sharing this information, helpful information, painful information, but life-saving information. My guest today is Deputy Chief Michael Beckman with the Long Beach Police Department in sharing the story of his son Stephen's suicide. Again, we know there is help, there is hope, and you'll hear more about the legacy that Stephen left behind, and the hope that we can all have. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor, SSI Guardian, who has set the new standard on advanced safety training. Schools can no longer afford not to invest in a professional, evidence-based, advanced safety education training program. It's the single most important decision and investment a school administrator will ever make in their professional career. When all else fails, training and preparation are the only things that will increase your chances of survival in a violent incident such as an active shooter or active terrorism. SSI Guardian has set the new standard in advanced safety education by providing evidence-based, advanced training programs tailored to your needs. While there are many basic training programs largely based on opinion and emotion, SSI Guardian is the only advanced training program of its type with an accredited continuing education unit or CEU issued by an accredited university. SSI Guardian has set the new standard in advanced safety education by providing evidence-based advanced training and solutions to learning institutions, faith-based and professional organizations. To learn more, call SSI Guardian today at 877-878-5800 or visit guardianprotect.com. To learn more about living well with Dr. Peg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark.
Welcome back, everyone. My guest is Deputy Chief Michael Beckman with the Long Beach Police Department. Deputy Chief Beckman, thank you so much for sharing, and please continue with your story. I, I want to hear um, what happened after um, Stephen's um, initial recovery. We were very blessed to get Stephen home, and we got him what we feel to be the best, actually, that, that money could buy that would repair his body that would heal his mind, that would renew his spirit and, and recharge his soul. I mentioned that we, we did some things around the house and made a house uh, for him and his new baby, Aurora, and, and his girlfriend. And over time, the poor decisions started to be made again. As he recovered and went to rehabilitation, he started to make some, some poor decisions again. And 13 months after his attempted suicide, he went to a, another bridge uh, that was higher off of the the deck, if you will, uh, and jumped off of that bridge. He fell, what I'm told is, 100 feet and landed uh, in a ravine. And as it turns out, he landed in a, in a fashion... Uh, and on some shrubbery that actually uh, broke his fall. And would you believe that a 100-foot fall did not immediately kill my son? Mm. And he was actually uh, taken to the hospital where he had uh, been taken previously, and they uh, tried uh, very valiantly to save his life. Uh, But regrettably, it did not happen, and Stephen was pronounced uh, deceased. Incredibly, his successful attempt at taking his own life took place one year and one day after uh, his daughter's first birthday, Mm -hmm. which are uh, some things that come as a result of that that we're going to have to uh, help Aurora through. I know as she gets uh, older and to be a a young woman that we're going to have to help her with uh, with these things. But... uh, as a result, uh, Aurora lives with uh, with her mom, and then my wife and I are helping to uh, to raise her as well. But I have to tell you that these 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 uh, incidents, and they're tiny little incidents that took place around the whole tragedy of my son's death, uh, brought some personal and professional uh, takeaways for me, uh, not only as a man and as a person, but also uh, as a police officer. Uh, I learned uh, a lot with the way that law enforcement treated me when this uh, happened to me and my family. And I will tell you that I was treated very well by the uh, sheriff's department that that, uh, assisted my family and I. And it made me reflect on how I treated others when I was on the other side and I was in uniform and, and passing along this kind of information and helping people. And I found that I didn't uh, do as good of job as I could have done. In my estimation, helping people was putting people in jail and, and putting bad guys uh, away. And I came to learn that being an officer is so much more than that. And in a career where it's very business is to serve the public, is to serve humanity, it's okay to be a human. And you can do that without sacrificing your officer safety skills. And you can do that without compromising uh, your own safety. And and I think 
our profession, uh, if I might be able to editorialize for a moment here, I think our profession, the law enforcement profession, would do well these days with uh, with knowing that it's okay to be human, uh, it's okay to be sensitive and compassionate, and still be professional in the service of, of your duties, and, and to be safe as well. Absolutely. And that's part of the legacy of this ordeal that you went through with your son and ultimate tragedy that there there really is a in the midst of a storm there's a ray of sunshine maybe even a rainbow in the form of aurora and even how it's changed you as an officer and i say that's just like god to exchange beauty for ashes that even in the midst of a tragedy we can see some beauty come through that's incredibly well put uh, aurora is a a blessing from above and she is the spitting image of her father, I see her her father in her in, in everything that she does, and she's just a, a beautiful, caring, and compassionate uh, little girl. So her birth certainly was a, a miracle and, and a blessing for us. You know, as it turns out, when Stephen uh, took his own life and fell in that ravine after falling 100 feet, he fell in such a way that the doctors were actually able to harvest four organs added his body. And so we want to talk about a legacy. Hmm. There are four people, and I don't know them, and I will probably never know them, but there are four people who are walking the planet right now who have my son's organs inside of them, and I pray that they're doing God's work. Uh, I hope that that's the case. And don't get me wrong, I would much rather have my son here, but he's not but the fact that even in his death, people are helped by his contribution and his donation of organs uh, gives me and, and my family much comfort, and it, and it eases the pain just a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can imagine that helps. And yet, as you stated, um, you miss your son. Um, the blessing is that you have your granddaughter, <laughs> and can um, teach her about her dad, um, that he fought for the underdog and um, sacrificed uh, to help other people. Those are just a couple of things that I've gleaned from hearing Stephen's story. I miss Stephen greatly. I can't walk into my own room without passing his room. I can't walk past the tabletop in our house uh, without seeing uh, the, the little bit of damage to the tiles that had been done when he was home and trying to strengthen his arms. He is, his imprint is, is all over the house, and I, and I miss him greatly. Mm. But again, I take comfort in knowing that his message of, uh, uh, of substance abuse and mental illness and, and addiction uh, can actually uh, help people, and uh, that's what I'm trying to do for him right now. I will tell you that I have people have asked why are you so open about this? In fact, sometimes they're they're put off and seeing somebody in, in a police uniform being as as open uh, as I have been. And I don't talk at home with my wife about this. The only time I I feel comfortable in talking about with us about this is when I'm in uniform and I'm at work. And uh, I'm still trying to to figure that out. But I'll tell you another thing I'm trying to figure out is is my my faith. I believe in God. I believe in in, in grace. Uh, I saw the power of prayer firsthand. Yet, now that Stephen's not here, and I continue to be in an occupation 
uh, where you see uh, rarely the, the best of humanity. You do have instances of that, but a lot of it is the, the, not the best of humanity. I begin to question my faith, and, and that's something that I, I struggle with every day. But I'll tell you, people have asked, why, why do you talk about this uh, so openly? And, and there's four main reasons, if I could just go through them quickly. Please, the, yes. the first one, I do it for my profession and the people in it. Law enforcers uh, are, are doing what they do, and they do it, in my estimation, very well. But we can always do better. We're human beings. We're all made of the same fabric, and we can always do better as a profession. So I'm telling this story to hopefully bring some compassion and, and sensitivity to the profession uh, so that they can pass that along in their service to the public. I do it for me, and it may sound selfish, and, and I apologize for that, but I, I do it for me because I can't talk about it uh, at home, and so I, I need to be in uniform and I need to talk to the community and to my colleagues and to medical and mental health professionals and people in the community uh, about what happened and, and what they can do to get help. I, I have to tell you also that I do it for Stephen. His voice is silenced, and I miss him so much, but I knew that I had to take this horrible tragedy and, and turn it into a positive, and so I am now his voice, and he would want to use, I know he would, he loved people, he would want to use his short life, yet his very vast and broad experiences, good and bad, to help others. And then the last reason is my granddaughter, Aurora, who, by the way, was not named after the Disney princess. <laughs> I know all the Disney princesses, but she wasn't that person. She wasn't named after any of the Disney princesses. She was named by Stephen and, and her mom uh, after the Aurora Borealis uh, that they both thought was just simply beautiful. And just like the Aurora Borealis, my granddaughter is Aurora is, is very beautiful. So it's the very fitting name. But I tell Stephen's story for her because I want her to know that her daddy, Stephen, was mentally ill, but it was through no fault of his own. Stephen did not choose to be mentally ill. And despite his passing, is helping people to this day. He's helping to raise awareness. He's helping people to realize that suicide is a permanent solution to what might be a very temporary or a fixable problem. And I want Aurora to know that her daddy, Stephen, even in his passing, is helping people and that he loved his daughter so very, very much. And that is uh, the reason why I tend to be very uh, open and in uh, wanting people to know our story. Amen. Well, we're grateful, Deputy Chief Michael Beckman, that you're willing to share this story. We love the name Aurora in Denver, Colorado. It's one of our <laughs> suburbs in this area. Uh, thank you so much for educating the public about mental illness, about suicide. And we know that Stephen's legacy will live on, not only through Aurora, but through the many lives that will be saved because of your courage to share his story. And so we really thank you. Deputy Chief Michael Beckman, thank you so much. Thank you. My guest today has been Deputy Chief Michael Beckman, and I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark reminding you to live well. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Living Well with Dr. Pegg. Living Well with Dr. Pegg is brought to you by SSI Guardian, who has set the new standard in advanced safety education. 
If you'd like to learn more about the show, our sponsor, or mental health consulting and publishing services, visit www.drpegradio.com. Remember to join us every Saturday at 1 p.m. on 94.7 KRKS-FM for Living Well with Dr. Peg.